Thanks, Becca. Thanks, kiddos. You did a good job listening. Uh, several years ago, <clears throat> uh, Pixar released a movie that took a look at how our emotions work inside the control center of our brain. Joy, fear, anger, disgust, sadness, all of those things. And after my kids watched it, I felt like they kind of, they were like, I think I understand how emotions work. But but, but dad, I think I have crazy and silly living in my head too. And so I was like, you're probably right. Um, but they, they, they got an image of what it looks like to allow these, these emotions to drive and the results being what they are because, you know, anger drives. So maybe, maybe this is what it looks like in your house. What? What is it, woman? What? He's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Riley! Are you kidding me? For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? I'll beat you. School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude. No, 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 no. Stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. Now. Foot is down. The foot is down. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. <laughs> it's not like that in anybody's house, right? Um, we, do, we do like to laugh at the, the little man who loses it in public uh, and the angry person that's in the videos. But the truth is, outbursts of anger um, can lead us to lost relationships. Uh, unaccounted for damages and, and, and even jail time. Some of us may experience uh, a prison cell for letting anger get control of us. Some of us may experience uh, small group counseling where you sit in an anger management class, but most of us will suffer silently with our struggle against anger. Um, last week, I asked everyone to consider their anger problem. 
I ask you not to elbow the person sitting next to you. I ask you not to make the list in your head of those who need to hear this series because they're an angry person, but I ask you to own it. I ask you to own the anger, struggle, and problem that you have. Now, I don't know all of you, but I bet that if you're like me, you've gotten angry. Maybe sometimes that anger was good and right. But maybe many times your anger isn't justified and it gets blown out of proportion. Maybe, if you're like me. Or maybe it was right for you to be angry, but your anger got destructive. You are the gunslinger. You're the one who shoots first, asks questions later, and there's a wake of damage because of your angry outburst. Or maybe, regardless if it was right or wrong anger... You let it hang around way too long. You're the volcano. It begins to boil and it continues to fester and it takes one thing and you're gone. And so are the people around you. Or maybe you ought to be angry, but you aren't. Maybe you should be upset about something, but you've stuffed and hidden it and pushed it down for so long that you've become the iceberg cold to everyone around you. Our working definition of anger for this series is, I'm against that. We talked about it last week, where when we get angry about something, it's because our whole body has seen or experienced or or felt something that causes us to say, no, I'm against that. And it could be from world poverty to your children making you mad at bedtime. It could be anything and everything, but ultimately we say three words when we get angry. I'm against that. And then the way that our emotions and our brains and everything go into action. So you could have been betrayed by a friend and you say, that's not right. It's wrong. I'm against that. Or maybe the 26 is backed up like it never is for no good reason and you're late to an interview and you say, I'm against that. That I mean, I've threatened to take a baseball bat to I-26. I have. And look ridiculous, pulled over the side of the road, this man gets out of his car hitting 26 with a baseball bat because I'm so mad that there's backup for no good reason, right? Video would go viral, right? And we would all get it. Your Facebook feed is filled with offenses. I'm against that. Right? What comes to mind when you hear those words? Uh, Francis de Sales says that there was never, I love this, there was never an angry man that thought his anger unjust. Every time we get angry, we think it just. But what comes to mind when you hear that, I'm angry, irritability? Are you the person that everyone is walking on eggshells around? Like, because it's just like this, and you get set off. Or maybe it's arguing. Like, you're like, I don't want to get them angry because all they do is argue about things. They just make everything a fight. Everything becomes a battle. Everything becomes this, 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 this. Arguing? What about bitterness? Like, holding on to it? Like, when you, when you hear, I'm an angry person, is that the picture that comes to mind? It's just bitterness. Like, you have let anger sit for way too long about violence. When you hear I'm an angry person or 
he's an angry person or she's an angry person? Are you picturing someone who gets pleasure out of inflicting pain on other people? Because this is sinning in our anger. What about passive anger? You know, some of you may have an anger problem, but it's hidden in lack of energy for life or depression or pessimism or just eh. Or what about self-righteous anger where you always feel this sense of I must have a grievance. I must. Because if I don't, then there's something wrong with me, but I've got to have something to hold on to to fuel anger. David Pallison said it this way, anger flares too quickly, alienates too many relationships, burns too long, causes too much pain, hides too well, and feels too good. I don't know you, but I bet you get angry like I do. And you have felt every single one of those. You know, all of these, in fact, are returning evil for evil. This is exactly the way Christ followers are not to handle things. But because we are sinful and we are broken, and what is broken is not around us, but in us, we mishandle anger almost every time. That's why the scriptures tell us not to get angry. Not because we should hide the emotion, but because we are sinful and we handle it wrong most of the time. In Romans chapter 12, we talked about it, we prayed this a little bit last week. In Romans 12, it talks about this, this com- Christian community and what it looks like. And it freaks everybody out because you're like, what if we really live this way? And this is where he, tail- and he ends things with this Christian community. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, which we will talk about next week as we conclude our series. If you're like, what does that look like? We're going to talk about that. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. It's not just found in Romans, guys. All through the scriptures, there is a call for the people of God to handle this anger differently than the world around them. In Psalm 37, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 29, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. In Ecclesiastes, control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. 
If you don't believe the scriptures, you'll believe the viral internet videos. Right? You'll believe the office freakout videos like, that guy looks like a dum-dum. Like, I can't believe he acted like that in public. There have actually been people who have sued those people who have filmed them in their, their outburst and posted it online for slander and defamation and all these lawsuits because they posted a video of them losing it. Now everyone thinks they're a fool. It's just a scripture coming to life. Like, it really is. And I'm telling you, I remember I was a junior in high school. And the, my, the youth pastor that I was connected to, he brought in this outside worship leader. And it was a guy with his piano. And he was just leading our, our youth group in worship and all this different stuff. We were singing these songs. Well, some of us were singing these songs. Not all of us were singing these songs, which we apparently found out in just a moment that was not cool to this worship leader. So he's standing up there playing on this piano. There's a group of kids that aren't really paying attention. But you're dealing with teenagers. You kind of have to understand they don't pay attention. It's okay. And you begin to just walk through that. And you as the worship leader are just loving, worshiping, and you're, you're just like, it's not that you're just leading people, but you yourself are worshiping. There's this, this understanding. Well, this dude had had it with the group of kids who were not paying attention. And I could see his face. His anger was starting to rise because you, when you're angry, all of you is angry, not just your heart. Your nostrils do this thing. Your face turns red. I mean, all, all of you does anger. It's not just about the emotion. It's your whole body, blood pressure, everything, face. I mean, it's why some of the root words for anger in Hebrew and Greek, nostrils, rabies, right? Rabid dogs. You go into this crazy concept, nostrils, and swollen, burning. All of these words are the word pictures associated with anger. I could see it happening right in front of us. Dude stops in the middle of praising God, just like, you're like, you're worshiping God. And he gets on these kids. He looks at him and says, you guys think this is a joke? I mean, everyone just stops. And like, he takes this cross that's hanging off of his piano and he picks it up and he goes, you guys are just throwing this thing into the garbage. And he throws it across the room. And everyone is just sitting there going, like, the fear that came over that room. Now, thankfully, the dude didn't just go back into singing worship. He left. <laughs> that was better, probably, for him to leave than to continue leading us in worship. Uh, and so the moment just stayed really awkward for a really long time. And that was better than him just trying to jump back into business as usual. I was fine with that. I don't remember a word he said. I remember how he treated us, though. And I understand having that prophetic stand-for-truth mentality, but do you think any of those kids are telling the story about the worship encounter they had there? No, they remember the crazy man who spouted fire from his head and threw a cross into a trash can. There's a right way and a wrong way to get angry. And unfortunately, all I remember from that is how angry he was. And I bet there's a room full of kids who still remember that encounter. One of the clearest ways to know that you are not letting the Holy Spirit lead your life is found in the description of what we call the works of the flesh or the sinful nature. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul has laid out in the previous chapters this beautiful picture of Christ alone and what it looks like to have died with Christ, to be alive with Christ. 
And so he gives these two pictures that will go back and forth. The first one is the works of the flesh or the sinful nature in first chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's something in us that craves exploding on people with our rage and our anger. Verse 17 says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. It's the whole, I want to do what's right, but I don't. And then I don't do the things that I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. When anger goes wrong, there are a few um, unwrittens that happen in our brain and in our mind and in our hearts. And these, this will let the sinful nature drive every time. And you make these statements when you let the sinful nature drive. You make the statement, I want my way. That is the first statement when anger goes wrong is I want my way. Because you know where you go? You go into your head and then you have this courtroom in your head. It's an unjust courtroom because you are the judge, jury, sentencer, prison mate, all of the things. Everything is unfair in your head. When you have those, you've had those conversations, right? You've played out in your head, oh, I would say this to them, ooh, and then they would say this to me, and the ooh, I'd say this to them, zinger! You know, I got them. I know the conversation. I know where it's going. I've sentenced them. I'm the judge. I'm the jury. It's over. The courtroom in your mind is unfair, just so we're clear, because we say, I want my way. But then we don't just go into the courtroom mode. We, we actually go into like this military launch attack Like, we are in control. This is where we decide who's a friend, who's an enemy, who's an ally, who can be depended upon, who's guilty, who's innocent. This is where we go, target acquired. Because I want my way. But we don't just say, I want my way. We actually back up our phrase of, I want my way with, I'm the victim here. Right? Like, and we just... We take on that identity when in Christ, we're not to have any other identity. So if I'm saying, yes, I have been wronged, that's different. Saying I have been wronged is good and right and needed. But to say, I'm the victim and live that, live that way is actually idolatry. It's actually us saying that my identity as victim is more important than the new identity Christ has put on me. He's covered me. He's made me new. So even if I am wronged, I can express that I'm wronged. I have been offended. You have hurt me. And I can seek those steps to move out of that place. But to say that the victim, I am the victim, it only fosters I want my way. Because when we say that I am the victim, it feels so good to feel bad because it proves that you're so bad and I'm so good. Our identity is found in a place we weren't meant to find our identity. But then the last statement that we say, and we may never say it out loud, but we think it all the time because our hearts are broken, is that I am God. What? We say that we're God? No, we do. And it's the biggest struggle, the greatest struggle the flesh will present us with every time. 
I determined. Because I am the ruler and lord of Jason's life. I rule and own everything. I will determine how long I get angry for, the strength of my anger, the object of my, my anger to be, be hit upon, the intensity of my anger. I determine all those things because I am God. It's what we say by our actions. We don't like to say it out loud, but let's just be honest. Let's get to the root of it, because if the Lord can get to the root, He can rip it out, or maybe surgically, like a, with a scalpel, move like the sword of the Spirit does, cutting us to the thing that's killing us so that we can live. And the results of following this mentality that I am in charge, that I want my way, that I'm the victim, that I am God, the results, it's tied. And he continues in Galatians chapter 5. These are the results of following the desires of your sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Now here, this long list is all connected and can be connected to anger. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The problem with anger going astray in this way is that there is a signal, a good signal in us that something is going astray in here. Anytime our outbursts of anger, we catch ourselves going, what was I thinking? It's an alarm going off that something in here is not right. Something is broken. Something is being built on that should not be built on. And Lord, unless you operate, I'm going to keep responding this way. Last week, we talked about what we get angry about is a good indicator of what we value. And if you constantly live frustrated and angry, it's not just about outside circumstances, but it's because your high value of you is in the driver's seat. If everyone is offensive to you, it may not be them. Could be you. We don't like to look that way. We like to point all of our fingers this way. But what if our high value of us really is causing the high levels of anxiety, the high, high, high levels of anger and frustration over circumstances, over things, over stuff, and it's not to say we don't walk into counseling and sit with counselors and hear and, and wrestle with and unpack. But what if the root of our issue is truly what the scripture points at as our sinful nature? Our hearts are busted. Paul's detailed reminder of what Christ has done for us in the letter of Ephesians in which we read last week truly is the road to freedom from being controlled by anger. And if you read the scriptures, we are not to be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So to be handed over to anger is to be handed over to an idol. To be handed over to this response in life is to be saying, Holy Spirit, I don't need you. I've got this. And we go back into that tailspin. Paul doesn't just give people a list to aspire to. He actually points them to Jesus. He describes a people looking at Jesus. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, he says these words. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Um, pointing to Charlottesville and the heresy that the church has a, that had allowed to drive separation and segregation and slavery. If these words in the scripture were held true, slavery doesn't exist. If these words were believed that Jesus is who he says he is, segregation does not happen. If these words are true and the creator of the universe is speaking to his creation and saying, you will not live divided. You will not live as treating caste systems work and and, and hires and uppers. There will not be a place for that to exist because Jesus is the one who's knocked the walls down. So when we say, and these people who gather in the name of white supremacy and racism, the garbage heresy that they would say, well, the Bible teaches it. It does not. And I am so sorry for those of you who have had to walk hearing it taught that it does, number one, but then also for those of you that have seen a broken, broken system in the way the church has chosen to follow a version of Jesus that they love, which is actually them looking in the mirror at themselves. They really love themselves and their way of life rather than the Jesus of the Gospels. So you and I have to be very careful when we say, well, I'm just following my Jesus. Is your Jesus the Jesus of Scripture? Because if he's not, you're following yourself. And we have seen the broken, gross imagery all across the internet and television of people following this God that looks like them, who is no God at all. And so friends, be very careful how we allow anger to drive us because we can say, my God would let me get angry about this, that, and the other, but have we looked to Jesus for that answer? Have we opened the scriptures? Have we sat with the body of Christ? Do we sit with other believers and go, Lord, how would we appropriately respond to the the ugliness that we are seeing all across the screens and the internet? And how would we respond to reflect you and your kingdom? And here's the hardest part, guys. I'll be super honest with you. To see something like this brought to an end means we're working for another generation to get it. You and I may not see the benefits of racial reconciliation, but we can start helping the next generation understand what it looks like because the kingdom of God is a beautiful picture of every tongue, tribe, nation, language, skin color. We can begin to allow the next generation to see that. I know we want it to happen like in a year. but where are we starting right now? 
Where are we starting right now, allowing the kingdom of God to take up space in our own lives, with our children, our, our friends, our family, our workplace, so that maybe the next generation will get it? And I know that's hard for us living in a microwave society. We want to see it fixed like this. But we have to start somewhere. And that starting place is getting off the throne of our lives. It's saying, Jesus, you're better than this. You're better than what I can accomplish on my own. And Lord, please, would you do a work in me that would cause the next generation to know the beautiful picture that the church really is. And I know that's hard for us to think that we may not get to see it in our lifetime. But what if the next generation does? Paul's words won't be popular, but they put life and its decisions into perspective. When we live, choose, act, speak, and move, our priority is not what makes us happiest. Our priority is will it bring honor to God? I know this is a tough thought because we want to believe that whatever makes me happy, God's good with. The truth is, have we sat with him and said, are you good with this? Most of the times, no. But he says, hey, look, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It's possible for me to miss it because I think if I chase my happiness, everything's going to be great. Do I know that for sure? I don't know. Maybe we sit with him and ask. The beauty of the life of the Christ follower is no longer, God, what's going to make me happiest? It's God, what will bring you honor? And I don't ask that question because at the end of life, I've asked the question, what will bring me honor? What will bring God honor? And then God's like, well, you asked the me honor question way too many times and you didn't ask the me honor me question enough. So you know what? You don't get eternity. That's not why we ask the question. We ask the question, God, will it bring you honor because Jesus has met us with mercy. He's met us with grace. He's given us all that we need for life and faith. And so we ask a new set of questions as his followers. God, will it bring you honor? For the believer, that's where we stand. Every decision, every life decision, every walking and, and walking with people and making decisions, we just say, God, will it bring you honor? Help me know how to do that. Because Jesus, you gave up your life for me. God, you sent your son when I could have been your enemy forever. You met me with grace. Now we live asking a whole other set of questions. And if you're living by the excuse, well, I'm just an angry person. It's who I am. It's what I do. That's not humility. It's pride. Because you're, you're, you're ultimately telling God, God, you can't even get your hand around my anger. No one can. So if you walk around going, well, I'm just an angry person. It's just who I am. It's just how I do things. It's just me in charge. You're right. But it's pride, not humility. It's ultimately saying, God, you cannot even you, creator of the universe, the one who made me, knows every hair on my head, knows my heart better than I know my heart. Not even you can get your hands around my anger problem. And if you're thinking in your pride... You can get a grip on your anger, like Becca painted the picture of, by, by mastering breathing techniques, like another course on anger management, listening to another podcast. You're leaving out room for the one element that needs to be addressed more than any other, and that is a new heart. You're leaving 
out room for God to address the one thing that needs the transformation more than anything else. Not behavioral techniques. Those are good. Those are fine. But if you're trusting in your ability to get a grip on your anger, it's saying, God, I don't want your ways. I'll do it my way. The Apostle Paul wrote another letter to a group of people in a church. And this letter was to the Colossians. And again, he, he maintains the supremacy of Christ. He doesn't go, Jesus was just a good teacher or a good philosopher. He says, no, he is over everything. He's God. He showed up and he stepped into our, into our world and dealt with us in a, in a way we didn't understand. But in him lived all the fullness of God and he walked with us. Like, that's the game changer. Jesus is everything to the life of the Christ follower. And the reason he was revisiting this idea was because there were those in the church who were saying, you need, okay, you got Jesus, but you need to add the lists to everything else that you need to do to be saved. Yeah, Jesus may have started this salvation thing, but you've got to do X, Y, and Z to really be saved. And at the end of chapter 2, Paul gets to the core. Not just the core of the why the lists won't work, but he gets to the core of the heart condition. And in verse 23, these rules, okay? He's addressing the rules that the, Colossian, that the people have been hearing from false teachers. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Guys, we love to look like we're disciplined. We love to look like that we're self-controlled. We love to look like that we can get it together. And Paul's saying you're setting yourself up for disaster because you're not addressing the thing that needs to be addressed, and that is your sinful desires. And according to Scripture, when you came to Christ, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. You no longer have to let anger drive because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Last week, we read about how prolonged anger gives the devil a foothold. The devil doesn't make you angry. I wish we would stop saying that. Anger is something that we do with all of ourselves, our heart, mind, emotions, face, nostrils, all of it. Our evil desires, we love to get angry. But when we let that anger prolong, we actually say, come on, devil. Pull up a seat. Sit right next to me. Right here. I want to hear what you have to say. The devil is a liar, so we know how this conversation is going to go. We aren't in need of new techniques. We are in need of a new heart. Thankfully, God knew that about us. He loves us still. It's not as if God is caught off guard by my inability to get it together. It's not as if God is sitting in all of heaven and typing emails and sending you blog links and podcasts to listen to and YouTube videos to watch on anger management. They're, man, Jason's just not getting it. I don't know what's going on with him. He cannot get his anger under control. No. <laughs> the truth is, he knew. He knew that we would not be able to do it. So he provided us a rescue. God absolutely knows why we can't treat each other the way Jesus asked us to. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, it's an Old Testament book. Ezekiel's name actually means God strengthens, which is a strange name for a guy who carry a message to a people who were in captivity, had no strength of their own, and they were the people who were rejecting God's power and His justice. 
But Ezekiel speaks out. And in the book of Ezekiel, it's hard to read because there is a lot of God's judgment and anger towards sin, which is right, and we need to understand that. But Ezekiel also gets to announce God's grace. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, um, Ezekiel's talking to the people of Israel who are in exile. And he says these words. These are God's words to his people. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a, put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And in the New Testament, Jesus fills us in on this helper that will come because he goes Away. After the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there's not just the resurrection, but the ascension. Forty days later, Jesus ascends to heaven so that the helper will come. And this is where the, this, I know, and this is where it gets supernatural and we all don't like to talk about it, but God sends his spirit not to walk next to us, but to dwell in us. For those of you that are walking in your own strength, trying to get over your anger problem on your own, you deny the power that's sitting right there. That the Holy Spirit would wake us up and stir us to love and live and, and move and breathe as Jesus did. The result of the Spirit leading your life. Paul gives in great detail, end of Galatians chapter 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ, here it is, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another to be jealous of one another. As the band comes and we close this morning and we prepare to take communion and celebrate baptism together, sinful and out-of-control anger is firstly a worship problem. It's not secondary or third-tiered, whatever the word is, secondary, third, fourth, whatever. It's not farther down the list. Worship is, is, it is a first issue in the human heart. And if we worshipped our way into, into anger, because we've worshipped ourselves continually and so much, a greater affection has to be stirred. Someone or something that can put a cap on our anger, if we've seen ourselves as God, we can no longer allow that be how we live. The beauty of this is when anger goes right is that there is always someone higher or a person or a purpose that we answer to. Like for my children, as they are learning to navigate anger, when they burst out in anger, mommy and daddy are there to go, no, 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 we can't respond that way. No, 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 we can't respond that way. And in the same way, these limits on anger that God has set, we look to Him to know how to respond in anger, to know what to be angry about, to know where to point that anger, to know how intense that anger should be, to know how long that anger should be for. 
God is the one who sets those limits, and His purpose transforms our anger. If I stay God, I let it rip. But seeing God's ways and His purpose as highest can actually get me out of my pretend universe where I'm God, right? And back into reality where He is God. The gospel speaks over our issue with anger. I'm impatient with a rebellious child. Oh yes? Well, how rebellious have I been to a very patient father? I'm mad because I don't have what I want, but do I see that in Christ I have all I need? I get revenge on all who have done me wrong. Where would I be if God took this approach on the wrongs I've done to Him? Which is what sin is. Sin is firstly against God and then against each other. As we move into a time of communion, as we go to this table, we take the bread and we take the juice. We take this, this, this body of Christ and this blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sin. And we take that bread and we dip it in the juice and we take it in. And we are being reminded that there was nothing we could do to make up for the outbursts of anger or rage in our own life. But that because Jesus lived the perfect life, he was qualified to die in my place so that I could have life. As you walk with anger and how to appropriately manage it and walk with it, maybe there is forgiveness that needs to be extended. Maybe there is, God, thank you for reconciling me to yourself through Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. And then maybe it needs to go this way with other people and you getting on, the, getting on your knee or getting humble and getting low and saying, please forgive me for the way I have responded in my anger. Not only is the gospel restorative in a relationship between me and God, but it's restorative this way. And if it's not restoring it this way, then I don't know if we understand what it means to be restored this way. This is where it gets real, but this is what the gospel does. It brings us into right relationship with God and makes it possible to have right relationship with each other. Why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven. The gospel covers us. And so as you go this morning to the corners of the room and you take that bread and take that juice, it's for those who have said, Jesus, you've done it. You've, you've won the battle. You've won the war. You have forgiven me of my sin. And then this morning as we celebrate through baptism, if there are those of you in this room who are like, man, I've never given my faith and I've put trust in Christ. I don't know. What do I do if I want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and I'm believing that he is who he says he is? Then you can be baptized too. We've got a change of clothes sitting over there. Or heck, if you want to jump in your clothes into that water, more power to you. But the baptismal waters are stirred because those who have said, I have died with Christ and been raised to new life with him. And I'm taking my place in his bride, the body of Christ. I'm in. He is the head. We are the body. Respond to his kindness this morning. Father, we love you. And um, God, we have failed in so many ways. But you have been so kind to us. 
we have broken so many things and we have busted so many situations because of our out of control anger, but God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you that he made a way where we're incapable of. It's in your name we beg all of these things.